Well, hello, my friends. It's John O'Leary, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. As you may have heard, we have started a new segment called Monday Moments. The idea behind the Monday Moments is this, for me to share with you, our listeners, a burst of inspiration to start your week on fire, baby, on fire. Each week, we will be a little bit different than the one that preceded it. I may share a story from a Live Inspired community member. I may answer one of your questions, so send them in. Or I may share an update from a previous guest. To have our Monday Moment episodes automatically sent to you, subscribe to the Live Inspired podcast on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you may be listening to your podcast. Welcome to the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so thrilled to have you joining us in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast, we have amazing guests who share their story, their challenges, their successes, what they learned, and ultimately what it means for all of us. Well, today we have an awesome guest. As you know, many times when I meet you on the streets or in the back of rooms after speaking, if you are a podcast listener, I ask you three questions. Question number one, why do you listen? And I don't mean like, is there really nothing better to listen to? That's not it at all. I really want to know what it is, what the heart of this show is that turns you on, that has you engage, that motivates you to tune in and to take action. So question one is, why do you listen? Secondly, who have been some of your favorite guests? I always love hearing who they are and what it was about them that motivated you and moved you. And then the third question is, who should we have on next? And one of my old friends from growing up in St. Louis, Missouri, she lives in the upper Massachusetts area these days. Her name is Mary Bowler. She sent me an article about a guy named Father Tom Hoare. Father's story is remarkable. It's a story of addictions and mistakes and overcoming and redemption and what he's doing with it today for the rest of us. Before he went live, he shared that, uh, hey, John, we all live in quiet desperation. And I have a share, I have a message of healing and a message of hope that I look forward to sharing. Well, it is that message today that you will be receiving, a message whether you are in quiet desperation or you are on fire with life, whether you have an addiction or you've already moved through one, a message that will remind you that in spite of today's challenges, the best are yet to come. So before we bring Father Tom on, I invite you right now to open wide your heart, open wide your mind, buckle up, open your journal, grab a pen, get ready to take notes because this one's going to be great. His name is Father Tom Horn. He is our guest today. Father Tom, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thanks, John. I'm happy to be with you for a little bit. Well, it's our great pleasure. And Father Tom, for those not named Mary Bowler, who may not yet know your story, they may not yet know what you do professionally, give us a glimpse into what you do today. I tell people most of the time that uh, I'm the guy that walks the dog in the morning. Uh, we have a we have a, a Bouvier de Flanders named Grace that uh, we're training as a, as a uh, therapy puppy for our resident community of uh, young men in early recovery. I live on a on eleven acre island in Mystic, Connecticut, that uh, is the home of St. Edmund's Retreat, mm. the Catholic Retreat Ministry, 
about 17,000 people come to our island uh, each year. But since 1967, it's been a place where people struggling with addiction and desperation have come to find that uh, that moment of healing and hope. Uh, we've, we've been hosting uh, 12-step meetings here on the island for, well, since 1967, and weekend retreats for people in recovery. And it was about 2004 that a young man that uh, I had known his family for, for a good long time was uh, struggling through his first semester of college and missed his exams. And his mother said, oh, Mike was so upset. You know, he, he missed his exams because he was up all night, uh, you know, studying. And now I've known this kid since he was, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And I kind of knew right. what he was up to. And so I said, why don't you have him stop by? And, and he came in, and, I, and he, when he walked in the door, I said to him, Michael, have you had enough? Yes. Uh, are, you, are you open to changing your life? And he sat down, and he started uh, crying, and, and we had a long talk. And that night, I took him to his first AA meeting. And then he went home and tried to go to uh, meetings and tried to stay sober and tried to go to school, and it just wasn't working. So I said, I said to him, why don't you, I said to his folks, why don't, you, why don't you have Michael stay here at the retreat center? And we have a lot of AA here. We, he can work in maintenance. We can help him kind of find that path. Well, uh, he did. And he stayed with us three years. And, uh, and that was in 2004. And I can tell you, he's, uh, he's sober, he's healthy, and he's living a, a really healthy, balanced life at, at this point. But just after he came... A buddy of mine from uh, college called me and, and said, I don't know to, what to do with John. He's drunk every day. Um, and I said, do you think you can get him to right. come? And all of a sudden, I had six guys, um, all in their early 20s, all who had either failed to launch or uh, uh, flunked out of college, and they were um, struggling with early addiction. And we ended up starting a program, and now we have 12 guys at a time, no more than 12. They, they come and they stay with us here at the retreat center. They become part of the community. We help them get into school or back to school. We get them to find that balance, that, uh, that centeredness that so many people are, are missing in their lives today. And I tell you, it's, I told them I never had any gray hair until they started coming back. There's so much there that I'm I'm looking forward on the show to unpacking. A couple things I want to call out on the very front side. First is you don't need to be an alcoholic or no one well to listen on to the rest of the show. I, I I think what Father and I are going to be talking about during our time together is so perfect for all of us, and it's about stories and struggles and redemption and healing. And I, I just want to make sure that all of our listeners, regardless of what we're dealing with or moving toward, recognizes this show today is for you. That's first. Secondly, and Father, you brought it up already, that question that you asked young Mike, and I think you ask a whole lot of the guys you serve, and it's a question I'm going to invite our listeners to ask themselves right now, have you had enough? It could be putting up with a crud in your life or a relationship that's toxic or whatever else it may be. But that's a turning point type question that we got to be willing to ask ourselves or have someone who loves us ask us, have you had enough? It's a great question. And then thirdly, we, we I don't know if you've heard yet, but his name is Father Tom Hoare, which means he's a Catholic priest. And uh, 
this message will center in part about his life, his experiences, but it's it's even beyond his own faith walk. And so I just want to make sure that we all buckle up for the ride because this is a story that that Tom Hoare is going to share that will impact you wherever you are on your journey. Would you agree with all that, Father? I, yes, I would. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, and as I mentioned before we went on the air, one of the stories that I think has a great message is the, the story of Jean Valjean, hmm. uh, Les Miserables. Here's the I, I guy may start that, singing here pretty soon, so you better hurry up and make a point. <laughs> well, he, here's a guy that, uh, you know, he's been in jail for 19 years. He's been brutalized. He he gets paroled. He thinks he's free. And he says, you know, I can breathe uh, the fresh air again. I can drink clean water. And he goes out into the world and the brutalization uh, continues because society doesn't accept him. You know, they've labeled him. Uh, they they think they know the uh, the inner person. And he he becomes dejected, mm. and and then and while he's sleeping in a in a doorway, where a man comes up to him and says, "Come inside, uh, for you are weary. Uh, there is wine here to refresh you, and food to make you strong." And he 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 brings him in and he sits him at the table and he treats him as an honored guest. Yes, uh, and I think uh, we we live in a society where. Too many people label people and write them off without knowing who they are. And they don't, they don't have any sense that there is inside a precious gift. Mm. Um, we, we judge them by their actions rather than, as Martin Luther King, you know, he said, to be known for the content of your character. And I, and I think a lot of times we write people off because we, we never allow them to open their inner being to us. Well, we are looking forward to opening up our inner beings together. And, you know, Jean Valjean was identified as a number. And eventually he tore up that number, that, that thing that had come to represent his life, 24601. And, got a two, four, six, oh, and yeah. said, forget that. That's not going to defy him any longer. I'm, I'm sacred. I'm worthy. And the best of my days remain in front of me and in front of us. So, Father, before we start talking about the work you do today and the impact of it and what it means for the rest of us, I, I believe you grew up in a pretty cool neighborhood in South Boston. Is that accurate? Well, I grew up in Quincy. My family was from South Boston, and and you know we had all the family celebrations back there in South Boston. But you know, after World War II, with the GI Bill, and my dad was from in the war, they came back and they they were able to uh, have their own homes. And, and you saw the, the migration of folks yeah. out of the inner city into the suburbs. And I grew up in a neighborhood where 95% of the people in the neighborhood, their, their dads had come back from the war, mm. you know, and, and the, the neighborhood, you know, I'm a baby boomer. <laughs> uh, the, the neighborhood was filled with, with kids. And so it was a, a great place to grow up. We're certainly influenced by all that. But there are great struggles, you know, when you think in your own head that you don't, you know, measure up to everybody else. You are one of five kids. I think you're the fourth born. Uh, So I'm one of six and I'm the fourth of six. And it was crazy constantly in our house growing up. I'm assuming that's kind of your experience as a little one. Yes. Um, A lot of activity and not only with the five of us, but uh, cousins and neighbors and and our and our uh, our lives centered around the neighborhood and the and the parish 
all our activities took place there. And there was that, that sense that if one of the parents in the neighborhood corrected you, mm-hmm. uh, we listened to them. It right. wasn't, you know, a parent saying, who are you to uh, talk to my child that way? There was that, that sense of community that many people are missing today. And I think, you know, when you talk to people who are struggling with uh, addiction or other mental uh, challenges, then they'll say, I feel like I'm alone in a room of 100 people Mm. because they don't connect. So tell me why you think it is that almost half in a recent study by Cigna, half of the nation, U.S., feel isolated or feel lonely. You know, we're connected with phones. We're around people all the time. So why is it that half of us feel like in a room of 100, we're by ourselves? Because we don't have a, I don't think, uh, a real healthy sense of self. And, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've filled our lives with noise. Mm. And uh, we've filled our lives with stuff. But it's not the noise and the stuff that uh, gives us meaning. Yeah, I'm a Catholic priest, but I'm also a student of the society we live in. And we've taken, we've taken God out of our society We've taken a sense of the sacred out of our society, and we've caused people um, not to have that inter-self-awareness and contentment. You know, people tell me all the time, well, I just want to be happy. And I tell them, no, you don't. You don't want to be happy because happiness is external. Mm. I said, what you really want is you want contentment, that inner joy, that inner peace that allows us to deal with whatever is happening around us without losing our sense of self because all of us have to deal with stuff. Right. You know, there's lots of, lots of us deal with, with, you know, with tragedy and pain and we've bought into this notion that we're victims. I don't think we're victims. I think we've lost the sense of who we are as, and I would say children of the King, but of that sense that we, there's a, there's a human dignity to us that no one and no, nothing can rob from us once we really get a real understanding and a hold of it. Most of the time what I tell people is go read the first chapter of the first book of the Hebrew Scriptures, the book of Genesis, and read what happened on the sixth day. Because there's a, it's a beautiful story of creation. And on the sixth day, God says, let us make man in our own image after our life. And he did. And then he looked at upon it and said, that is very good. This is very good. The rest of creation was good, but this is very good. And so we're created in the image and likeness of God. And there's a dignity and sanctity to us that allows us to, um, to live with that inner sense of peace and joy. But too often we lose that sense or we've never been helped to nurture that sense. Mm-hmm. That's why That's why in uh, football stadiums you see people running around with signs that say John 3.16. You know, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son not to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And coming to, to develop that, that connectedness with our creator, whether we call him Yahweh or God the Father, or Allah, or however we address the Creator. We have to recognize that uh, it's out of love that we have uh, been created, and we have been restored and redeemed by the healing uh, and redeeming sacrifice of, of Jesus Christ. Other people experience that in different ways. We've had people in our recovery community here who are Hindu, Buddhist, Baptist, Jews, atheists, and devout Catholic families, but I would suspect that 
it's it's easy to say that most of them have come here as functioning agnostics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they've never really come to uh, to know God. But people say I want to I want to be spiritual, but I don't want to I don't want to be involved with religion. I said, well, how can you do that? People in recovery go to AA meetings, NA meetings. They go to a fellowship of people who are, are are struggling with the same issues they're struggling with. And the 11th step of the of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous or the 12 steps is to increase our conscious contact with God through prayer and meditation. And I said, well, I want to be spiritual, but I don't want to go to don't want to be involved in religion. I said, well, you know, on sun, on Saturdays, Friday nights, Saturdays, Sundays, you know, there are people who gather to pray. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, hanging around with them is a good thing because you might hear something that would help. People listening to you right now might be sitting back on their way to work or while they're working out or just kind of hanging out at home thinking, man, this guy's got it all figured out and I don't. So I'm going to read our listeners a quote from you just so they recognize that uh, Tom is on the journey like everybody else. So this one from you, Father Tom, I never felt good enough. I never felt smart enough. My brother was always the better athlete. Even though I excelled in school internally, I never felt good enough. And you see that in many alcoholics and in many addicts. I could preach a great sermon on how much God loved you, but I wasn't always sure that he loved me. Even though I achieved, I love this line, I lived in fear. You wrote those yep. words. What, what, talk, I did. Unpack I, it for me. Well, people in recovery, and, and I can identify with this, say that there's a hole in them. They, they feel a hole, and they look to fill that hole up with all sorts of stuff, and it doesn't do it, and so they, uh, they keep searching and searching and searching. I believe this. the only way to really fill up that hole is with a relationship with God. And I, I was 10 years a priest before I uh, mm-hmm. really came to the true understanding of what that, what that means, because I kept looking at everybody else thinking, they got it. They, how come I can't get it? And then finally, when I was able to say, I've had enough, I'm ready yes. to let go. I'm ready to let go and let God into my life in a real and intimate way. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you back there for a moment. I believe it was October of 89. You're at St. Michael's College in Vermont. You're in charge of campus yep. ministry. You're doing the thing. And uh, part of the way you're filling the hole back then is with alcohol. So this story isn't right. just about you fixing others. It's a story you lived yourself. And you get a call late night that a fire breaks out and you are the chaplain of the fire department. So when the call goes out, you go out with it. What, what, what happens from there? Well, you know, I, I went up to the fire scene and, you know, I know the fire chief. I know the dean of students and uh, it was on the North Campus and they said, you've been drinking? I said, no, 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 no. And I realized, ooh, because uh, no one ever saw me drunk. I drank alone at night, you know, when nobody else was around because I, you know, I was very much aware that I didn't want to scandalize anybody. But that night I had been drinking and I got in my car and I drove back the mile to, to my residence and I past all these police cars and, and uh, fire fire trucks. And, and I was very conscious of the fact that I got to drive down this road and not let anybody know that I'm drunk. And I got back to my room and I looked in the mirror and, and I said, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and that was, that was my last drink. But, you know, I stopped drinking, but I, but I still felt miserable inside. I, I always tell people God writes straight with crooked lines. You know? He sent me a seminarian as an intern. And one Friday afternoon, he he came into the office and he said, you know, 
I'm celebrating my first anniversary in recovery. And they've asked me to speak at the big meeting downtown. And I got sober in New Orleans at the seminary and there's no one here. And I said, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. (laughs) And I went and I walked in the room and I knew half the people in the room, Mm -hmm. doctors, housewives, plumbers. And they were all saying, oh, Father Tom, it's so good to see you here. And I said, well, I'm here for Jeff. I'm here for Jeff. So I sat there and I listened and I thought, what do these people have? I want it. The next day, he he said to me, what do you think? So I was very proud of you. Oh, you've done so well. He said to me, you can go for yourself if you want. Mm. And I said, I can. He said, yeah. The, the next night I went to another meeting and I've been going ever since. What do you find at those meetings that you weren't finding in your dorm room? What, what is it about the meetings, bringing people together? And I have a whole bunch of friends who hit up those meetings that brings you such peace and that brings you back again and again and again. Most people don't understand alcoholics and addicts. But when you're, when you're living it, there's a sense of authenticity and a genuineness that is absolutely refreshing because finally you, you find a group of people that absolutely understand mm. what you've experienced. When they share their story, they, they share the story of experience, strength, and hope. They, they're willing to share their journey of recovery and hope that eluded me for, for years and years and years. When I went, I had, a, I had a PhD and three master's degrees. So it wasn't a sense that I wasn't smart enough. It's that I didn't feel good enough. So I, I'm curious, a bunch of my friends who do attend meetings, one of them said to me recently, John, it's the only place I can still go where I can rip off my mask and be myself. Absolutely. I understand how we can rip off our mask in that meeting, but I'm curious, Father, why can't we do it in every meeting and in every situation? What do you think it is about the way we lead and live our lives that keeps us wearing that mask, plastering on the makeup and, and trying to portray an image that really isn't authentically who we are? I suspect that most alcoholics and addicts live in fear, that fear of not being good enough. Addiction has physical, emotional, and spiritual components to it. When you are in those meetings, People are are authentic, uh, and you don't have to worry about being judged. You don't have to be perfect. People are not going to use what you what you share against you. Now, I've been I've been going for 29 years, and I'm a little bit more comfortable even you know talking about this publicly. I mean, you you realize this was a podcast that you're on right now. It's not just you and me in an AA meeting. Just want to make sure. Yeah, I do. But, you know, that's why it's called Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. Because there's such a a stigma. And anonymity is an important part of the traditions of the 12-step community. And today, people uh, go and try to dig up dirt on what you did in high school. And discount everything that has happened to you uh, since. And they want to beat you uh, with that. Today, in the Catholic community, we celebrate the conversion of St. Paul. Now, here's a guy who is, as the Acts of the Apostles describe him, breathing fire. He's been given authority to go out and uh, find anybody who follows the way, that follows Christ, and bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. God uses him, and he becomes the great apostle to the Gentiles, to the world, bringing the message of hope. We don't accept conversion. And Jean Valjean, the fellow Javert, the the policeman, is chasing him through the years. And at the end, Javert gives in to uh, his own despair because he can't accept the fact that uh, Jean Valjean has become a different man. I think we have to allow people 
to grow and develop and to learn and to accept them for who they are today, not what they were like 20 or 30 years ago. You know, we live in a society where we're looking for that gotcha, I gotcha. When I first got sober, a fellow that had gone to school with me, he says, I remember you sitting in the uh, the dorm drinking um, uh, Manhattans and bumming cigarettes. I remember what you were like. And I said, yeah, I did that. I did that. But that's not who I am now. And a lot of people are afraid that people are going to judge them for their past rather than allow the grace of God to help change them and allow other people to see them differently, who they are. On Ender's Island, how many folks, how many leaders, how many lives have you directly impacted through the work that you do there? Families will come to me and ask me to help do an intervention and get their father, their mother, their brother into uh, rehab and recovery. I do spiritual direction with people who have lost a child. Tomorrow I'm gonna bury a fellow who died of an overdose. His parents came to me trying to find a a way to help their son and, and as much as they tried, they couldn't physically save him. And tomorrow I'll I'll do his funeral and and bury him. Each day I get up, I never know what's going to happen. But each day I get up, trusting God's grace will work through me. Whenever I preach, I always say to the people, you know, I've heard it said and I truly believe, and and I do, I truly believe that there can be no power in the preacher unless there's prayer in the pews. Because I, I truly believe that the Holy Spirit works through us as a community and enriches and empowers each of us to use our gifts and talents for the benefit of all. I trust God's grace. John, I have to tell you, there are days I still feel I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough. But God's grace is sufficient, as St. Paul says. It's sufficient. Uh, and that's what I depend upon. Well, it is enough. And you asked a question you ask it of others. I'm going to have you help us understand the power of it. Have you had enough? Where's the power in that question? Are you ready to really let go of the way you've been living, the way you've been thinking, and really allow God's grace to bring you down a new path, path of healing and hope? People don't like change. Even in our misery, we're afraid If I let go of uh, the drug, if I let go of the booze, if I let go of this or that, what am I going to be? It's a courageous moment when somebody says, yeah, I've had enough. I'm willing. And it really is about willing. Can you do this by yourself? Can can willpower carry the day? No, no, no. I mean, one of the very first steps of the 12 steps is I'm powerless. And when alcohol or sex or drugs or whatever is in my life, my life is unmanageable. Last night I was invited to uh, speak to a group of seminarians from around New England. And I took one of our guys who's been in recovery for two years and he he told them his story. He told them the neighborhood that he grew up in and the the home he grew up in and the things he did. And he's sitting there well-dressed, very articulate. And he said, I'm a heroin addict. This is what a heroin addict looks like. And you could see all these young guys kind of looking like, oh, yeah. yeah. People still stereotype the person in the next office, the woman standing in line ahead of you at the, at the grocery store, the student sitting behind you in a classroom, the person waiting on you at a restaurant. Any one of them could be an alcoholic or an addict. The question is, are they in recovery? I just recently saw a, a statistic that said 29% of the, the population of America 
struggling with some type of addiction. And addiction is not just alcohol and drugs. It's pornography, it's process, it's video games and gaming and gambling and food, anything that right. takes success over. and fame and follows and everything else. Yeah, that takes over your life and you can't imagine your life without it. And yet you desperately want to let it go, but you can't. So for those of us fathers, we as we get ready to shift gears a little bit into what we call the Live Inspired Seven, for those of us who feel as if they haven't been asked lately, have you had enough, but they're being asked right now by you and they don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do in that relationship or that struggle or that addiction or whatever else is kind of tying them down and keeping them feeling as if they're not enough. What, what, what do you think their next step is? Finding someone to help that can give them some guidance. Might be a rabbi, a pastor, a priest, it might be a, a social worker. It might be the guy that lives down the hall in your apartment building or the woman who's in the next office who you've heard are in recovery. You might ask them mm -hmm. because they might have some uh, insight, but not to allow the fear of change prevent you from taking that step. And then, Tom, I think it's going to be a similar answer, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway. What if you know someone, a spouse, a partner, a family member, the lady two offices away that you feel is struggling mightily and is in need of a friend and the next step and uh, someone who loves them enough to say, hey, have you had enough? What, what would you say for those of us who know folks like that and, and don't know what to do about it? Well, that's a toughie because we're afraid that we're going to hurt their feelings or make them angry. But becoming angry is, uh, is a great defense. But I, but as I said to the seminarians last night, if you know, if you know somebody that's struggling, you can't not act. You have to act, and you may not know exactly what to do, but you can't let someone. If if somebody was bleeding to death in the next office, would you walk by and say, "Hey, <laughs> uh, enjoy, enjoy, have a good lunch, and go off"? No, you, you do something. You might not be a well-trained medical technician, but you try something. When an addict or an alcoholic uh, realizes that the, the gig is up, that's when they, they begin to say, well, maybe i got to do something different. John, it's not easy. No, but it sounds like uh, life isn't, but it, it begins by having enough faith to take the next step and to trust that the, the, the ground will appear in front of you. Yeah, the courage to, to stand up and to speak the, the truth and to witness the absolute love that God has for each of us in knowledge. Final question, just because I would imagine it's on many of our listeners' hearts right now is, I have no relationship at all with God and no interest in that thing. You know, not, not, everybody, uh, not everybody is on fire in their faith or has a personal relationship. For those of us struggling in that area, or, or we don't even feel like we're struggling, we just don't have time or interest in it, Father, what, what would you say to those uh, who have that perspective? Do you have contentment? Do you have that inner joy? And I would suspect that most of them would say, no, not really, uh, if, they're, if they're truly honest with themselves. All it takes is uh, you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. Show up on Sunday morning and sit in the back of the church and just listen. Or if you know somebody who is a member of Temple and they go every Friday or Saturday morning to Temple, say, can I come along? You know, you know what I think? I say to people, uh, you know, when you when you have people that are, that are struggling, you know, and they're alienated from, from God, from church, you know, say, hey, listen, do you want to go to supper on Saturday night? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. He said, well, I'll pick you up at uh, four o'clock. We'll stop uh, at St. Mary's. We'll go to we'll go to mass and then we'll go out to dinner. And, and they say, huh? 
yeah, try it. Um, it might work. You don't know. You got to be, sometimes you got to be not only courageous, but you got to think outside the box. And I tell everybody at uh, Easter and Christmas, they come, you know, come to church every Sunday and they're, they're all moaning and groaning, all the, the Christmas and Easter uh, Catholics that come. And I said, listen, uh, sit in, in the back of the church, stand in the back of the church, let them have the good seats up front. Because maybe, just maybe, they might hear something or experience something and they'll come back next week. Well, Father, we appreciate you inviting us to come back next week and to boldly ask the question, have you had enough? And to begin the journey forward. It's so, for me, so inspirational to recognize, first of all, we're not alone. And secondly, there are a whole lot of other people out there willing to walk with us forward to possibility and toward recovery. And, and thank you for being one of them. And every every one of our guests that we've had on the Live Inspired podcast has been asked seven questions as we wrap up. And the first question they have answered is, what is the best book you have ever read? So Father Tom Hoare, what is the best book you've ever read? Uh, I would say the Gospel of Matthew. What is it about the Gospel of Matthew that you found so motivating and moving? Well, especially with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it challenges us not to live minimally, but to really strive for the life of virtue. Mm. What's one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a little child in South Boston that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly and as brightly today? Ooh, curiosity. Mm. Father, if your home caught fire, and all living things, pets, animals, friends, colleagues, neighbors, everybody's out. And you have an opportunity to run back in and save one item. What one item would you run in and grab? I wouldn't grab anything. Let it burn? Yeah, because it's just stuff. Is there, if I forced you to say, hey, you got to run in and get one thing or uh, we all burn. What, what is the one item that you actually would feel important enough to grab? pair of rosary beads that uh, my Aunt Helen gave me on the day of my ordination. All right. It represents not only a relationship uh, with God but through prayer, but it also kind of is a family thing. I hear you. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want to be seated next to on that bench? Oh, Jesus, of course. What's the first question you ask? Didn't your dad do a great job with this view? <laughs> <laughs> I live on an island and I look out right now, I'm looking out on a sky that is just absolutely aflame with color. And every time I see it, I just think of the creative genius of God. Right on. I, I think one of the mistakes we make is to miss what is right in front of us. Sometimes family, yeah. sometimes nature, and some of the people who live closest to the ocean or the mountains don't even acknowledge how, how incredible their backyard is. Yeah, I agree. What is the best advice you've ever received? Uh, don't drink and go to meetings. <laughs> what would you tell your 20-year-old self? What would I tell my 20-year-old self? There's nothing to be afraid of. Father Tom Hoare, there is nothing to be afraid of. And it has been said that all great people and healers and leaders can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? He saw people in pain and tried to bring them the message of healing and hope. Well, Father Tom Hoare, the message of healing and hope has been brought forward mightily by you, uh, both on this podcast and also in your, in your day job. 
I want to thank you for spending some of your day with us. I want to thank Mary Bowler, one of our faithful listeners of the Live Inspired podcast for connecting the dots. And uh, I'm going to let you get the final word in. Father, when people get back to their day job after listening to this podcast, what's one thing you hope they heard loud and clear? That there is a world of opportunity and God's grace will allow us, if we, uh, if we surrender to it, to discover a life that is second to none. Mm. Well, let's move forward into that life that is second to none. My friends, that is Tom Hoare. My name is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live a life that is second to none and live a life that is truly inspired. So my friends, I wanna thank you for being part of our Live Inspired community. If you have questions, if you have feedback, if you have suggestions, we wanna hear from you. Come on. Email me at info at johnolearyinspires.com. You can send your questions there. You can send your feedback or guests you want to have on the Live Inspired couch. Info at johnolearyinspires.com. I want to thank all of you for being listeners. I want to thank you all for being active, engaged members. And I want to remind you that the best of your journey remains in front of you. So for this time and until next time, this is your day. Live Inspired.